extend a welcome to you this morning. Who is God? Who is God? Pharaoh asked that back in the experience with Moses when he went, God commanded him to lead the Egypt, uh, the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said, Who is God? Coming to the New Testament, when God sent his son Jesus into the world for our redemption, for our, for our salvation, the multitude said, Who is this? In reference to Jesus, who is this? And the whole city of Jerusalem was moved, referring to the miracles that Jesus was doing and the teaching that he was doing. Well, as I thought about that question, who is God? Who is the Lord? Who is Jesus? What would be my answer? What's your answer to that? Do you recognize him as your maker? Your savior? Your best friend? Your captain, as we think of Jonah's experience in the Sunday school lesson, was the Lord was God, indeed, Jonah's captain on that ship. He was, whether Jonah recognized that or not. And interestingly enough, as you think about Jonah's ambition to flee from the presence of God, it's only God's mercy that he could not get away. It's a few chapters later, next Sunday's lesson, where where Jonah is praying to God for salvation and Rescue from the uh, whale, the fish, the great fish that swallowed him up. Turning your Bibles to Psalms 19. God gives us the answer to that question, who he is. In this Psalms 19, I want to read the entire psalm here. And I want you to look at, at, at look for three things as I read through here. And I, I give credit to Brother Arnie. I think this is... I think it was him that had uh, brought this to my attention, our attention. If you look at Psalms 19, verses 1 through 6, we have God's revelation to mankind by nature. And then if you look at verses 7 through 11, we have God's revelation through His Word, His written Word that He has given to us. And then if you look at verses 12 through 14, you see that God's revelation to mankind through our understanding of of our spiritual nature and and through the heart, our own experience. God gives every man, God gives every man an element within himself, regardless of the direction he's going, regardless of where he's at spiritually, he gives him uh, enough of a nugget of consciousness to realize that there there is a being that is greater than himself. And he pursues that. Now he may not pursue it accurately at first, but, and that's why it's important that we, we answer that question. Who is God? Who is the Lord? It's important that we all answer that question at some point in our lives. And we need to answer it in relation to, to looking at this psalm here in Psalm 19. I want to read Psalm 19, beginning at verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all of the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid 
from the heat thereof. That's, that's God's revelation to us through nature. Now, moving into verse 7, God's revelation through his word. The psalmist switches gears here. He says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover by them is thy servant warned, and in the keeping of them there is great reward. Now we switch gears there. He says, Revelation verses 12 through 14. Again, Revelation by my heart and my understanding. He says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret fault. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Regardless how big and how great God is, and John mentioned that in the Sunday school lesson this morning, how big God is, he's way bigger than anything you and I can ever comprehend and understand. And uh, yet God is, is interested in you and me as, as small humankind. Came across an interesting article written by a pastor, uh, S.M. Lockridge. The Bible says, My king, he is the king of the Jews, he's the king of Israel, he's the king of righteousness, he's the king of the ages, he's the king of heaven, he's the king of glory, he's the king of kings, and he's Lord of lords. That's my king. He's also enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally grateful. He's imperably powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands in the solitude of himself. He's awesome. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the supreme problem in higher criticisms. He's the fundamental doctrine of true true theology. He's the cardinal necessity of spiritual religion. He's the miracle of the age. He's the superlative of everything good that you can choose to call him. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient Savior. And again, I wonder, do you know him today? He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. And again, I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring to wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. And again, do you, do I know him? His office is manifold. His promise is sure. His light is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you, but
but he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off your hand. And you can't outlive him. And you can't live without him. The Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found that they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. The witnesses couldn't get their testimonies to agree. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's who God is. That's who the Lord is. I appreciated that expression. And the important thing is that we we know him. And again, how well do we know him? Looking at this Psalm 19, I want to... uh, Revelation by nature or creation. I, I've coined that, those verses, you know, getting a, a grip on God's size. And how do we get a grip on God's size? Uh, first of all, God is a spirit. We go back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. It says the spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. God's spirit moved in the creation of the world. God was not, uh, we cannot put a dimension on God, but he's, he's a spiritual being, so we cannot put a dimension on Him by, by weight, like our license have on. We have, we have our size, we have our dimension on there, we have our stature, we have our weight, we have the color of our eyes, and uh, whatever else necessary important uh, uh, documentation that would identify us. Uh, we cannot necessarily put a, a size together for God. He's way bigger than you and I could ever come to. But his his spirit moved upon the waters in the creation. We understand things being uh, able to measure in miles and inches and feet and light years. That's the way we as because we're finite. God is infinite. We're finite. We need to have dimensions to give us uh, an understanding of things. But when it comes to God, we need the element of faith to accept and understand who he is. <clears throat> Verse 1 talks about the heavens declaring the glory of God, the vastness of a star-filled sky. You walk out, and they've been fairly far and few between (laughs) this summer. Uh, But the other morning, there was a few stars breaking through the clouds, and it's impressive as you look up and and you see the stars. And as I thought about that, as I thought about this Psalm 19, you know, I I had to question, you know, what about God's greatness when the heavens are filled with, with clouds and they're filled with rain? As we've experienced here. And, uh, you know, is, is that my God controlling the weather? Is that my God controlling the clouds that, that hold up that moisture? And I got to doing a little bit of calculation and, uh, you stop and think about it. One inch of rain on one acre of land is about approximately 27,154 gallons of water. And then you multiply that by well, however many inches you got, five, six, seven, eight, ten. You know, that's, that's a lot of water. That's a lot of weight. And you take that weight, you know, at one inch, it's 113 tons. <laughs> how can that, how can that manage? How can that stay up there? And, uh, it's our God that's controlling the weather. And, uh, it's His world. It's His land. It's His crop. It's His cattle. Do I recognize that? So I thought about the, the water and I don't know how many of you saw the video, video clip on on the, the uh, cattle being swept away there at, at Oxbow Park. You know, it's kind of devastating. But uh, I was impressed as I, I see that man, you know, he seemed to be holding out for hope. I don't know how many, what, how many he actually ended up uh, recovering. There were some that he recovered. But uh, he said, oh, he hopes they'll find a little grass somewhere. And he said, of course, there'll be plenty of water. I thought, sure, there'll be plenty of water. <laughs> 
a little more positive than I would have been if my herd of cattle would have got washed away. But uh, you know, as I was and I was picked up a news article there that was laying there, and I I read uh, a climatologist was uh, looking at our weather this spring and talking about how wet it is, and I think May was the wettest May on record, and then. The title caught to my, actually my wife brought it to my attention, said you ought to read that. It's recalling the flash and drought fires of 1894. And, uh, many parts of Minnesota, the year 1894 started out wetter than normal. For portions of Stearns and Sherburne County up in central Minnesota, 1894 brought the wettest spring in history with precipitation from March to May exceeding well over 16 inches. And I'm not sure where we're at, but we may be getting close to that. Then except for some widely scattered thunderstorms, overall rainfall declined in June, delivering less than normal monthly amounts to many areas of the state. This was a precursor to July's near-record dryness. July 1894 brought few rainy days, and those that did occur dropped little moisture. Climate Station, Chippewa, Todd, and Ottertail, and Hubbard and Stearns County, Big Stone, uh, Dakota, Steele, and Goody counties reported less than a half of an inch of rain. Observers in Campbell County, Medford County, Steele County reported less than a tenth of an inch of rain. July was also warmer than normal. Over half the month had afternoon highs in the 90s uh, or greater. Chippewa County reported eight days of 100 degrees or plus. This created high moisture needs for the crops, which had been planted in wet soils and, and in a spring, which the roots were very shallow, shallow rooted. Crops wilted and were stressed by the end of the month. The August though not quite as dry, brought little relief as temperatures continued to trend warmer than normal. Many climate stations reported less than an inch of rain. In the July-August rainfall totals around the state in 1894 remained much of the lowest in the history of, of record-keeping, with many areas receiving less than 1.5 inches. A flash drought is a drought that manifests itself in less than two months. It was apparent across portions of Minnesota by the end of August. Crops harvested were poor yielding. Much of the crop left in the fields was used for either bedding or silage. On September 1, the infamous Hinckley Fire broke out, sweeping over 250,000 acres in northeastern Minnesota and killing more than 400 people. This remains one of the state's worst fire tragedies today. Fortunately for us, there have been no recent climate analogies to the unusual weather patterns of the July-August of 1894. Both those months have trended wetter than normal in recent decades, and the same may be in store for 2019. I didn't like that in, but... Uh, you know, let's let's be careful. Let's uh, let's leave the weather in the Lord's hands and uh, trust Him. Uh, that fire at Hinkley, I, I was trying to put that in perspective. Here I go. I'm trying to get size and dimension. Two hundred fifty thousand acres. That would be almost like the entire Dodge County burning on fire. Uh, if I calculate it right, not quite. I think there's two hundred seventy thousand acres in a county, approximately. But uh, again, that may vary. The flames they, ship, they said were shooting four and a half miles high. Uh, Hinkley is midway between Duluth and the Twin Cities, so you get the position of Hinkley, halfway between Duluth and Twin Cities. You see it on I-35, you see the exit for I-35 when you head north there. And they said the flames were four and a half miles high, and you could see them from Mason City. See us down your way, Richard. You can see the flames reaching that high. That's, a, that's phenomenal. That's, uh, that's high. But... Uh, I just bring that to your attention. I, I guess I had heard of the Hinkley Fire, but never realized some of the, and some of the stories that I was reading about are, are heartbreaking. You know, the trains were rolling into town, and the, Hinkley was the biggest city that was burned. I think there was four other cities that were burned as well. 
and uh, you know people had to leave. There was a train, freight train there on the on the, on the siding, uh, a passenger train, and they loaded them as full as they could. One lady ran back into her house, and somebody had to make a judgment call, and she never came back out, and the train left, probably perished in her house, went back for what I don't know, but. Uh, there, it was the fire was that hot that there were there were, there was a, there was a documentation of some of the train cars that were not leaving the, the the wheels fused to the rail on the track. That's how hot it was, and uh, so I was coming back to God and His greatness and how He reveals Himself through nature. Um, again, it's phenomenal. We, uh, you know, the cycle of days in verse 2. Day unto day uttereth speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. Uh, from sunrise to sunset, each day do I view it as a gift from God, whether it's sunny and comfortable like today, or whether it's giving us a deluge of another several inches of rain. Each day is a gift from God. And it's a testimony. It's a, it's His signature as we think of the sunrise and the sunsets. Um, had to think of Psalmist later in Psalm 90, verse 12. He says, Teach me, O Lord, to number my days. Uh, the days come, the days go, and do I give recognition uh, who God is and that He is actually the one that is in control of those days. And what am I doing with those days? Verses 3 through 6 talk about God's creation as we see it, speaking in a language that is understood by all. Um, even even the animal kind, I think, understands uh, a, the phenomena of, of nature to a large degree. The sun provides light. sun also provides energy, both, and way in excess of what we actually utilize here in this earth. The sun is the center of the universe for us, and uh, it provides light and energy way in excess of what we need. How long would the earth and humankind survive without the sun? photosynthesis would stop plant life would die uh, I'm not exactly sure how long a human being could live without sunlight I, I did a little bit of research on that but we certainly would not could not live very long it could be several days I think the nearest I could find was 8 days that we could live without uh, any light even on cloudy days we do have the sunlight coming through but total darkness without light how long would we live and again I'm not 100% sure on the accuracy of that but uh, we do need the sun. A woman with the uh, last name of Shine, <laughs> which is interesting, from Seattle, Washington, back in 2013, has set about to prove that you don't need to eat food, uh, that you only need sunlight to, to live. And, uh, well, she, she wanted to do it for 100 days. And I'm not sure exactly where she was at in the article I was reading, but her doc doctors had advised her against it. She had lost quite a bit of weight. Uh, I think she had lost like 30-some pounds, but uh, she wanted to prove that, that the sunlight was, was all that you needed for, uh, at least for a limited amount of time. And uh, she was taking in water fluid, and there had been a number of others had tried it before and succumbed to their experiment. And for some reason, she was uh, seemed determined to prove them wrong. But uh, even though we need sunlight to live, God has designed our bodies to to take in the, the fruit of the earth and eat as well. And uh, not giving recognition to that uh, is in violation of uh, God's design, I believe. Now, we probably do it in excess too many times, 
we uh, overindulge and we we go off on the limb the other way, we probably pay a penalty and a price for that as well. God revealing to us who He is by creation, and even atheists who look and uh, and observe God's creation and the cycle of of life and days. I think in their honesty need to acknowledge that there is a being that is greater than mankind. And it didn't happen just by chance. God has a plan. God has a purpose. And he has placed us here uh, with a mission in mind, as we talked about in the Sunday School lesson this morning. God has a plan. God has a purpose that we would build his kingdom. He's interested in the souls of mankind. And each being that is walking the, the uh, pathway of life in this world has a soul that is worth more than the whole world. We look at the creation. We look at the beauty of nature, and we look at uh, you know we we get uh, obsessed with uh, with scenes, and uh, we think that'd be worth a million dollars. But uh, to think that God says the soul of a man, a human being, is worth more than the whole world. Coming back to the second section of God revealing him, uh, Himself to us through His Word, and I've entitled that intellect. You know, God communicates to us in a language that we understand. He communicates through his creation, which is a language that all men can understand. Even men that are not willing to pick up a Bible, God is communicating to them through creation. But then God has revealed to us, revealed himself to us through the written word of God. And that's what we have here this morning. We're talking about the written word of God. We're talking about his commandments. Whether we obey them, whether we whether they are the guiding principle of our lives or not. God is an intellect being, and he communicates to us through these verses here, verses 7 to 11. The psalmist says a uh, number of thoughts that I, I, as I looked at these ver- uh, verses 7 through 11, a number of quotes came to me, and I'm, I don't know who to credit most of them to. Uh, if I have credit marked down, I'll give, uh, give credit to them. But it says, read the Bible, free gift inside. How interested am I sometimes in the free gifts? Read the Bible, and there's a free gift inside for you. It's a gift of salvation. Bible study is meant not only to inform you, but to transform you. And that's from D.L. Moody. He said, Bible study is meant not only to inform you, but then to transform you. God's word is to have an impact on our lives. When you open the Bible, ask its author, God, to open your heart. That's where our understanding of God needs to begin. To open our hearts, open our minds, to receive the truth of God's word. Mark Twain had this to say, he said, it isn't the parts of the Bible that I don't understand that bother me. He said, it's the parts that I do understand. And uh, that's a statement that I think we need to deal with. There may be many things in the Bible we don't understand, but let's, let's take it a nugget at a time. And what we do understand, be obedient. God is faithful. As we apply ourselves to understanding His Word, as His Spirit guides us into all truth, I believe God will continue to Reveal that which we need of. Theodore Roosevelt said this, A thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. Can we have a raise of hands on that one? A thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. If your life depended on knowing the Bible, how long would you last? If my life, if your life, depended on knowing the Bible, how long would you and I last. Well, looking at what the psalmist had to say about this, about the law of God, 
First thing he mentions there in verse 7, he says it's perfect. God's word is perfect. God's law is perfect. It's the perfect prescription that man needs to bring him back to God. God's law isn't a trial and error. You know, sometimes when there's sickness in in our experiences, it gets to be a trial and error. Uh, you have a cow with mastitis. Sometimes uh, it's trial and error. What what pharmaceutical to use? What's going to work? Uh, so you throw everything at her, and sometimes that don't work. Um, but God's word is perfect. It's what mankind needs. It's what I need. It's what all of us need. God's law is in trial and error. We need to apply ourselves to it. It's sure. I like that expression. To me, I think it's focused. It's on target. It's not toe-tramping here when we read God's word. It's not just simply skirting around the issue. It gets right to the matter of the heart. God's word does that. It's sure. It God knows with the help of His Spirit, by the guidance of His Spirit, and the consciousness of who we are and our accountability to God, God's Word is sure it will accomplish that which He intended it to accomplish. We can still choose to reject it if we want to. God doesn't force His acceptance of His law, statutes on us, but it's to our blessing, it's to our benefit if we recognize it as being perfect and sure. Furthermore, in verse 8, Psalmist says it's right. And it will always produce joy. It is always right. God's law will never go wrong. We were talking in the Sunday school lesson about sharing. And I think you can never go wrong by quoting Scripture. It's not my word, then. It's God's word. As we share and encounter others. And that's, that's a challenge to us to be always... Uh, and the Scriptures give us that promise that He will give us words to share as we encounter those uh, that are questioning us. God in His faithfulness. But we, again, we need to do our part and make ourselves familiar with, with His Word and His law. It's right, and it will always produce joy. It's pure. When I think of something that is pure, I think of the ultimate level. The ultimate level of goodness. The ultimate level of performance. No impurities whatsoever. It's pure. It's, it's absolute. When we see pure on a label, we know it's the best. Verse 9 talks about the fear of the Lord. Because of who God is and because of who I am, I, I need that dimension. I need that dimension of a proper, right fear of God in relating to who He is and an acknowledgement of His Word so that I may end right. The fear of the Lord, something we cannot skirt around. Jonah tried it. To get away from the presence of God. And his fear of God brought him back to God. Verses 10 and 11. More to be desired are they than gold. And he talks about honey and the honeycomb. And he talks about the effect that they will have on our spiritual well-being. How do I desire God's word? How much do I desire God's word? How does it taste to me? Is keeping God's word a drudgery or a reward? Do I find pleasure in reading God's word? Do I find pleasure in in living God's word? Do I find pleasure in sharing God's word? And do I see the reward in doing that? The psalmist says that in keeping of them, there is great reward. It's not just a reward, but it's a great reward. It's a reward that is 
uh, beyond this life. Coming to the third section of our revelation of who God is in answer to his question, I've, I've called this social. Uh, God reveals himself in a social way to us. Uh, God is it desires humankind for fellowship. He desires that we worship him. We need interaction from God. You know, who couldn't be blessed by somebody who is so much greater than themselves? We need God's presence in our lives in a daily way. Psalmist begins there in verse 12. He says, who can understand? Who can understand his errors? When I think of errors, I think of a a deviation from the rule. Um... And you think of Matthew Henry had this to say. He said, these are rules that we are to work by. These are rules that we are to live by. Uh, As we think of errors in understanding God's Word, as we think of errors in, in fleshing out God's Word, God, the psalmist says, who can understand his errors? We in our own inability need God's enlightening presence and power in our lives so that we can understand our errors. A deviation from the rule. We cannot afford to deviate from God's rules. How many errors am I allowed to have till I'm disqualified? It's a question that came to my mind. How many errors? Now, Ellis mentioned in the sunset class, as long as there's life, there's hope. And I think that's true. As long as I have a desire, as long as anybody has a desire to understand our mistakes and understand who God is and am willing to repent and forsake my errors and come to God in repentance, I believe there is no limit of the errors. I don't think God has a number necessarily marked out that when you pass over that number, you're done. You know, we do that sometimes. We say, all right, I'll give you three more chances and that's it. God is not, God is long-suffering. God is merciful. Now, I, there's, a, there's a risk we run. We may lose that desire. We may become calloused. Our conscience may become hardened, Scripture tells us. We need to always be choosing the right way. And when we make an error, when we make a mistake, we need to be humble ourselves and come back to God in, in repentance and uh, find our uh, make our peace with God and our fellow man as well. God wants us to understand His rules. God wants us to understand our errors uh, so that we can learn from our mistakes. He goes on and he talks about secret faults. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. You know, there's nothing secret this morning. Absolutely nothing secret before God. Everything is open to him. Absolutely nothing is secret to him. Who better to ask advice and counsel of than God? Say, God, what is there in my life that I need to surrender to you yet? What is there in my life that is keeping me from being what you want me to be? There are no secrets between God and you. We may act like it sometime. Jonah thought he could hide in the ship. Jonah thought he could hide in the belly of the whale. It didn't work. God found him there. And God will find you wherever you are this morning too if you ask him to reveal those secret faults. They are not hidden from him. They may be hidden from others. It talks about presumptuous sins. Uh, verse 13, Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Um, Presumptuous sins, I believe, would be, the NIV translates that, willful sins. When we willfully go against what we know the law and the Word of God teaches, that's a dangerous thing to do. Presumptuous or willful sins. And the, the psalmist is saying, Lord, 
Don't allow that to happen in my walk with you. Don't allow that to happen in my experience with you. May you keep me from presumptuous sins. Verse 13 talks about... uh, Let them not have dominion over me, and then shall I be upright. I shall be innocent from the great transgression. Uh, talks about the blamelessness and the innocence that we can have in a relationship with a righteous, pure, and holy God when we follow His laws. God wants to, God reveals Himself to us so that we can be in a social relationship with Him. Um, and he continues on in verse 14. You know, really, as you look at verse 14, that's a barometer. That's an indicator of what is inside my heart. What is inside my life. Let the words of my mouth, the thoughts, uh, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. You know, my mouth, my thoughts are an indication of what my life is all about. What do I talk about? What do I think about? Is He my Lord? Is He my strength? Is He my Redeemer? It's a question I leave with you this morning. May God, as we continue our journey through life, as we continue our journey, our walk with Him, may our relationship be one that is that we can say He is truly the Lord of my life. He is the source of my strength. And He's the source of my redemption. That's my desire for myself and for each one of you this morning that God would be glorified. This message would not drop through the cracks, but it would draw us to God for His glory.